pray with me this morning? Father, the very last phrase of that song is, uh, is my prayer for us. That you would write upon our heart this morning. And that you would remind us who you are. Father, we are, we desperately need to hear from you. We need to see you, Lord, differently. And I would just, uh, God, I just pray, Lord, you know what's on my heart. You know what's in the word. Father, with, uh, I, I just ask you to talk to us today, God, and that you might change us today for your honor and glory. So just come, Lord Jesus, and, and meet with us is my prayer. And I ask it in your awesome and mighty name. Just come. Amen. You can be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 6. Uh, we'll be looking there at um, a pretty familiar passage, I think, in uh, in just a few minutes. A few years ago, God blessed me, and I got this uh, HD TV. Uh, and this was back in the day. I don't even know that they had the flat screens back then. But mine is like this wide, and it's about this tall, and it's like that deep. I think you call them projection. It's like a it's like a couch, you know. And so I had to. You know, we, I went down there and I had to buy it for the end of the year because it was a tax kind of deal. And, and so I went and bought it and I said, well, I, I can't carry it home because it's too big. So I had to borrow a trailer. And so I went down on the, on uh, New Year's Day and I picked up my, you know, my HD television and I come home and we had a basement back in those days. And so I came home and I unloaded this thing in the basement. And you know, you know how these things are. They got, you get the remote control and there's like 50 buttons on them. And so I get down there in the basement, I get to working on this thing and I finally get a picture. This HD TV I just bought, man, just a lot. And I get a picture, and it looked bad. I mean, it was, first of all, it shrunk in, you know, it had the black on the sides, and it, the signal wasn't good, it was, it was out of focus, and it just, it was not good. I just couldn't, and I just thought, man, I can't see well. And so I called up the cable company or the satellite provider, and I got the HD receiver. And if you remember... How many of you remember the first time you saw high def TV? Man, I got this HD. Now we only got back back in the day. We got like five channels or six, maybe. We got like uh, ABC, CBS from New York, and you know, a, you know, just a couple odd things. But we had a ch- we had one channel that had the NBA. Now, I'm not a big NBA fan, but in high definition, even NBA looks good. I mean. I, I flipped this thing on. I think it was the Lakers. I mean, you could see the people. You could see the guys' freckles. You could see their pimples. I mean, you could read their tattoos. I mean, that's, I mean, you could, it was clear. And so I'm looking at that thinking, man, this is awesome. And then now, now we just kind of take for granted. You flip on the HD. If you watched a football game last night, man, it's like being there, right? I mean, it, sometimes it's better than being there because you got your own bathroom. You can, get, you can put on pop. I mean, it's good. But the thing, but here's the deal. Here's what made the difference. Man, it was, fo- uh, there was no focus on the picture. It was kind of unclear. It was not good. It was kind of bad. We didn't know. But when we got the clear signal, man, I could see. And, and when I could see what was really there, it's just better. It's just better. And so I want you to imagine with me this morning, imagine what your life 
would be like. And imagine what my life could be like. Imagine what would happen in our church if we could get a picture of God in high definition. I mean, what if we could get God to come in clear and there wasn't any fuzz, there wasn't any, you know, unfocused, uh, there wasn't this squeezed-in small picture. But imagine what might happen in our life and imagine what might happen in our church and in our community and in our country and in our world if we could just see God for who He really, really is. What if we could see Him clearly? How, how would that change? Because I'm convinced that that in the church of the living God, we, we need him to write upon our heart so we will know who he really is. The world, listen, listen, the world is desperate for the church to see who God is and to live for him. You see, what often happens is, and I, I'm a complainer about this too, so I'm not just lumping y'all in there. But a lot of times we look at the world and go, the world's all messed up, man. What, what, what are we going to do? And, you know, we got this and this, and I'll talk about some of that in a minute. But here's kind of the thing. We, in the church, we expect the world, the people that are lost and out there in the world, we expect them to act like people in the church. And then we who are in the church, we go out there and act like the world. And so we got this thing all messed up. And so what needs to happen, in fact, Peter said that judgment needs to begin at the house of God. Now, if we all believe that our culture needs a change, and, and we may document that in a, in, in a few minutes, it ought to start with us at the church. I mean, lost, the reason lost people act like they act is they're lost. They, they don't know God. They've not met Him. But we have, those of us who are believers... And so we should look different. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is I want us to begin a series. We're going to embark on this journey. For the next few weeks, we're going to do a little study on who God is. And what I hope that's going to happen over this, uh, over this little journey that we're going to be on is that we, we will begin to see God more clearly than we ever have. That God might come in high definition in your life, in my life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this this vision that Isaiah the prophet had. It's one of the, clear, it's one of the most interesting and clearest pictures um, of who God is and some things about him. So join me. In fact, why don't you stand with me? We're going to read in Isaiah. We're going to start in chapter 6, and we're just going to um, read about eight verses. But if you'll just follow along with me there. Uh, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices... The doorposts and thresholds shook, and then the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And then Isaiah writes, he says, Then one of the seraphs, he flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Uh, You can be seated. Thank you for uh, honoring the Lord's word. Uh, what I want us to do now, I understand to trying to, un, to to wrap our minds around the the nature and character of God. It, it's kind of like trying to empty the ocean with a with a lunch pail. It's impossible to do. I mean, there's no amount of Sundays that I can stand up here and give you a message about the nature and character of God and say, okay, we, you know, we're done. Now we, you and I together. Now we know everything there is to know about God. It, it would be foolish for me to think that. But what I do want us to do is I want us to take a few minutes and, and unpack this passage of Scripture and some others that we'll look at over the next few weeks because I want us to begin. I just believe that we need to get a new picture, a fresh picture, a, a more complete picture of who this God is, this creator of the universe and this redeemer of our soul. We need to know him. And if we're going to know him, we have to see him. As he is. And so the most natural place to start, it would seem, would be with uh, the holiness of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and I understand, I, I know that this is true, the very word holiness uh, or holy strikes a chord with many of us because whatever we are, we are not holy. And we know that we're not holy. And because when we know that we're not holy and that God is, that means that we're different than God. And there's this uh, kind of a separation there. And so this whole idea of holiness, when we, when we see a book title, The Holiness of God, or, or Practicing Holiness, then all of a sudden, a lot of times, we just kind of cringe a little bit because we're thinking, man, if it's holiness, I'm not that. And God is that. And so there's this tension that happens when we hear that word. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to unpack this portion of Isaiah because whatever happened, I mean, almost like Paul, Paul the apostle, remember his Damascus Road experience? When Paul saw Jesus on the Damascus Road and was converted, man, it shaped his life, his ministry, and his destiny. And and when Isaiah had this vision, when he saw God in his holiness, it shaped his whole not just ministry, but it shaped his whole destiny. In fact, we didn't read this name, but Isaiah called the Lord the Holy One of Israel because God put this imprint on his life. And he knew and understood that God was holy. In fact, uh, some of the scholars tell us that 25 times in his book, Isaiah calls God the Holy One of Israel. And so we're going to just do it a little different today, but we're just going to take this passage and we're just going to take it apart. And so let's just look at the vision. If you got your Bible there, just join me. We'll start there with verse 1. It says, In the year that King, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Now let me just set the stage for you. We're not sure exactly uh, what happened. We don't know if, if Isaiah was in the temple, but it stands to reason 
that what had happened is, and this is probably about 740 B.C., you know, depending on uh, how you interpret Scripture, but King Uzziah died about 740 years, give or take a couple, before the birth of Jesus Christ or before the time of Christ and the, uh, the new uh, millennium. So, so he, in that year, Isaiah goes into the temple, and, and what we would assume, and we're just going to make some assumptions, but he probably went into the temple in mourning for the king, but he probably also went into the temple, you know, to mourn for the king, but there was probably because there was this sense of uncertainty. We don't know, I don't know how old Isaiah was here, but here's what I do know. Uzziah, Uzziah was king for 52 years. And so when the king that's been king for 52 years dies, you don't really know what's going to be next. And so I'm, I'm certain that there was quite a bit of uncertainty in the kingdom of Israel at that time. Isaiah didn't really know what was going to come about, and so he went into the temple. It's almost like it is with us. I mean, we got a big election on Tuesday, and there's a, there's a sense of uncertainty. We really don't know what, what next weekend is going to bring. We really won't, don't know what next month is going to bring because the leadership may or may not change. And it, in some respects, it's going to change somewhere, somewhere. And we don't know what's coming. There's some uncertainty. And here's what's kind of interesting. Uzziah was king for 52 years. Do you know how many presidents we've had in 52 years? I, I added them up. We have had 10 different presidents in the last 52 years. Uh, I, two years before I was born, we got Kennedy. And then we had Johnson. And then we had Nixon. And then we had Ford. And then we had Carter. And then we had uh, Reagan. He was my hero, by the way. First president I got to vote for. That's just extra. I'll just throw that out. And then after Reagan, we had Bush. And then we had uh, Clinton. And then we had Bush too. And, and now we got Obama. So 10 different leaders in 52 years. And we know there's some uncertainty coming Tuesday. But here's Isaiah. Man, it's been 52 years since the leadership changed. And so he goes into the temple thinking, God, I, I don't really know what to do, but the king is gone. And so he goes into this temple. And he sees this vision of the king. Not just a king. Not just any king. But he got the vision of the one king. In fact, if you look at that word there in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The Hebrew word there for Lord is Adonai, master ruler, but really more than anything, it means sovereign one. It's not a name. It's more of uh, a title for God. It's the, he's the sovereign one. And if you know what sovereign means, it means he's master. And it means he's ruler. In fact, if you look in John chapter 12, verse 41, it says that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus in this vision. And John believed that when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne, high lifted up with the train of his robe, that that was a picture of Jesus Christ before he took on flesh and became a man. Adonai. Because that's Jesus... The name Lord in the New Testament means sovereign one. And so what God was saying, listen, this is this is huge. What God was saying to Isaiah, doesn't matter if the earthly king died because the sovereign one is seated on his throne. And can I just tell you, I, I don't know what Tuesday's going to bring. I don't know what the next president, the next election, I don't know what it's going to be, but here's what I do know. We have a king that's seated on the throne 
Not a king, but the king. He is high and lifted up. He is sovereign. He is master. And he is ruler. And he's in charge. He is in charge. And so whatever happens, we know that we have a king seated on his thrones. But let's read on. Look down at your Bibles there. In the year the king died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And and just think about kind of what's going on in this whole passage. You know, the the idea is that, uh, you know, the the train of his robe fills the temple. And it's just, there's this whole sense of of the fullness. It talks about the glory of the earth and fullness. But just think about what's going on in this passage. First of all, there's a glorious divine king, and this king is seated on his, seated on his throne. Uh, he's high and exalted. He's exalted to his place. And the train of his robe fills up this temple with glory. And then there's these angels. This text here calls them seraphs, and we'll talk about what they mean uh, in just a minute. And, and so these seraphs are flying around the throne, and they're, they're just screaming out to the Lord, holy, holy, holy. And then the whole thing begins to shake, and all this stuff is going on. And, and so the building's shaking, and the threshold, and the door's shaking. And I'm just thinking, Isaiah's probably shaking more than anything. Because he's in the presence of the majesty on high. Now look down at your Bibles there. Look there at verse uh, 2. Notice what it says there. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. That word, that's the only time that word is used to describe angels in all of Scripture. That word seraph means burning one. Expositor's commentary said it probably means uh brightness. And so you've got, now there's some other pictures of angels like this, but this is the only place that it uses that term. So I want you to imagine with me, here's these seraphs, these burning ones, these bright ones, and they're sinless creatures. They're created, they're created to praise and worship God. And I want you to notice in our text here, notice what they do in the presence of God. Look look what it says. Each has six wings. Now, Now watch what happens. He says there, with two, with two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And then with two, they were flying. And then they were calling out. And so here's, here's listen, listen, this is, this is so important that, that we understand this. Here's these created beings, these burning ones, these bright, I mean, the, if we were to see these angels, we would probably, we would probably faint in their presence. But they come into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. They come into the presence of the King. And the very, listen, the very first thing they do. Now they're, listen, they're created beings. They're made to praise. They are sinless. There's no sin in their life. And yet the first thing they do, they come into God's presence and they cover their face. Because they can't look upon the glory of God. And the second thing they do is they cover their feet. Because they're creatures and they're created. And there's probably some connection to what happened with Moses. Remember when Moses saw the burning bush back in Exodus? Do you remember that story? Moses, is he's shepherding his sheep and he's going along and he sees this bush over there and it's burning, but it doesn't burn up. And he goes over. And when he gets over to the bush, there's this voice that says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. Because this is what? It's holy ground. And there's this, this idea that God is holy and no one can enter his presence. In fact, if you remember, I mean, think about it. Moses saw that. He, he experienced that vision. And then he went into back to Egypt. 
and he saw the water turn to blood and he saw the Passover and he saw the, the, the sea get divided and he saw God bring water from a rock and send manna from heaven and Moses saw all these miracles. And do you remember what happened in Exodus 33? Moses comes to God and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't. Because if you see my glory, what will happen? You'll die. And so he hid him in the cleft of the rock. And so, why? Because of God's glory. Now, now just get this picture. So here's these beings, and they come into the presence of God, this created, this holy one of Israel. When they come into his presence, they cover their face because they're in the presence of majesty. Now, here's my question. How do we come into God's presence? I mean, what do we do when we come into God's presence? See, for most of us, we waltz into the presence of God thinking, well, if I don't have anything better to do, I'll go to worship. If there's not a better deal out there, or if there's not a reason to do this or that, we'll, 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 we'll give God some love and we'll give God some time and we'll give God some attention. You see, what we've come to do in the church of, of today is we've come to where we, we treat what's holy as common. And we give, typically, the average Christian, we give God what's left over. And we don't realize that the presence of God is a thing uh, to humble us. And these beings, I mean, they're, if we were in the presence of these angels, we would fall out. But when they're in the presence of God, they cover themselves because of his glory. And yet we waltz into the presence of God and we, if God doesn't do what we want or the way we think, uh, we walk away from him, we talk about him, we talk to him flippantly. And what's holy we treat as common. I'll never forget Bob Russell. You don't know him, he's deceased now. But I, I first met Bob... Uh, his, his wife, Peggy, came to visit our church. They had moved our community from, from south of Atlanta over in Georgia. And, and uh, Peggy came to our church, so I went by to see her. She was a senior adult lady. And, and uh, I walk in, she seated me in the living room, and she introduced me to her husband. And, and, and Bob, was, uh, Bob was a soldier, and he was retired, and he was a Midwesterner, and, and uh, he was a World, World War II vet. And, uh, I mean, he could cuss like a sailor, but he was a soldier. And... You know, and he just, it didn't, it didn't bother him at all. And I remember this thing, and it just, I just remember it. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but I began to talk to Bob about Jesus. I said to Bob something about Jesus, and he, he held up his fist, and he said, I will tell Jesus whatever I want to. And I should have stood, stepped back in case God was going to strike him, you know, out. But he shook his fist in the face of God, in the face of Jesus, and he dismissed me with probably a few expletives. And I later did Bob's funeral, and I told that story, and a guy comes up to me, he says, he says you're exactly right. He says, I remember Bob was on the side of the road, I don't remember if he had a flat tire or whatever. He says, I stopped to help him, and I mentioned something about Jesus, he said, and he threw that fist up, and he said, I'll tell you about this Jesus, and he was just, you know, adamant. I'll tell God. 
Now, I don't know that any of us ever do that. I don't think we shake our fist in God's face. But when we treat what's holy as common, it's about the same. Because it's rebellion. And the thing we need to understand is that our God is holy. And he is lifted up and he is exalted. And look there in your Bibles, um, verse 3. It says, and they were calling to one another. I mean, they come in, they cover their face, and they cover their feet, and they're flying around. And they just begin to call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they begin to cry out. Now, we don't know how many there are. I mean, all I know is there's at least two, because it's, it's plural. But, but they're making enough noise that the foundations and the doorposts, uh, they're shaking. And smoke begins to fill the place. I mean, can you, I mean, think about what worship is like in heaven. Could you imagine, I told the early service, could you imagine if, if we, if we had a worship service where smoke filled the room and where the, the instruments were up to where the place was trembling and those, those, uh, wooden foundations back there, if they were shaking, can you imagine how quick they would have me and Dan both gone? I mean, we wouldn't last the week. Because we're going to be reverent. We're going to sit quietly before our God and worship. And we do have to be reverent. But I'm telling you, man, in heaven, they're serious about worship. I mean, I'm thinking, did y'all watch the game last night? Did anybody? I watched the fourth quarter of Alabama LSU. Anybody? Anybody else? Man, when LSU got ahead, was that place rocking? They were chanting, all this stuff. We go get, we get so excited about a football game. And we come into God's presence if there's nothing better to do. And we, oh, I'm so tired because I stayed up and I watched a game and, and all this stuff. And then, and then we, we sing our little song. We worship our play and we play at our worship. And when I look into the scriptures, man, these, these, these seraphs, they weren't even redeemed. I mean, they weren't dead and had been made alive. They hadn't been lost and, and now that they've been found. They, they weren't sinners condemned to hell and now they're converted and going to heaven. They were just made to praise. And they go into God's presence with this awe and this reverence. And we who've been born again, we, we treat God common and he's holy. And notice, notice that, that phrase, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's a, um, theologically it's a, it's a trisagion or three times holy and, um, Interesting kind of Hebrewism, if you will. Now, some people say, well, the reason it's holy, 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 because it's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they say, well, that's an Old Testament um, picture of the Trinity. Well, maybe it is, maybe it's not. I can't tell you it's not, and I can't really tell you it is. But what I can say is that's really not the point. I don't think that, that it's in there. See, the point is, in Hebrew, when you say something more than once, you mean it. I mean, remember when Jesus got ready to, to tell him a truth? You remember what he would say? He would go, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, right? Jesus would say it twice. And when Jesus said it twice, their ears, they would listen. Oh, this is important. But when you say something three times, three times means this is super, super important. And, and what the angels were saying in the presence of this being, this, this holy one, is this is super important. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. See, that's a, that Lord there, that's a different word than Adonai. That's Yahweh. Jewish people would not say that name. It's called the Tetragrammaton. You didn't say it. And I, I, I heard this week, if, they, if the scribe would write that name, Lord Yahweh, they would throw their pen away. Because once you wrote Yahweh, you're done. New pen. Because he's holy. He's holy. And we waltz into his presence when it's convenient for us. And think we've done God a favor. And we need to, I mean, the earth is full of his glory and God wants his people. He wants us to humble ourselves in his presence. And he says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, you know, uh, and is and is to come. That's out of Revelation. But uh, Tony Evans said this about holiness. Well, what is holy? I mean, you know, we talk about that and, and we, you know, we kind of cringe. I, I remember Jerry Bridges wrote a book called... Um, uh, some about holiness, the practice of holiness. What is it, Dan? Is that right? Man, I just remember seeing that going, I don't want to read that book. Because if I read that book about the holiness of God, that would mess me up, right? And, and so we think this about holiness, but what, what does it mean anyway? Uh, Tony Evans said this. He's an author, pastor up in, in Dallas. He said, holiness is the centerpiece of God's attributes. Of all the things that God is at the center of his being, he is holy. God is holy. And so it's, if, if holiness is the most significant or the central most characteristic of God, then what is it? What, is, what does it mean to be holy? And um, I'll just say it like this. It means to be separate. Simply put, to be holy is to be separated. Now, one of the things that, uh, since we're in the middle of this election, and one of the things that's been in view for the last few months is Mormonism. If you listen to uh, Christian radio or sermons or secular stuff, you hear a lot about Mormons, and they talk a lot about Mormonism. One of the interesting things about Mormonism, and really the premise of why it, it's a cult, and by the way, it's a cult, and if you don't get mad at me, I'm just telling you the truth, it's a cult. But what they see, even though they have traditional values, and I understand that, but what they believe is that as we are, God once was. As God now is, we can one day be. That's clearly non-scriptural. God is holy. God is separate. He is the high and lofty one. We will never be like him because we are created and he has existed forever. And so to be holy means to be separate. 
and God is everywhere. One of the interesting things I learned this week as I was researching this, I never thought of holiness this way, but one of the commentaries, uh, they talked about how there, there's kind of two types of holiness. First of all, there's this majestic holiness, which I'll explain in a minute, and then there's, a, there's the moral holiness. And so these two together, this majestic holiness and, and uh, moral hol- holiness, when you combine them together, it kind of gives you a picture uh, a little bit of a picture of who God is. And so what is majestic holiness? Well, uh, one of the things Scripture often talks about, it says worship God in the splendor of His holiness or worship God in the majesty of His holiness. So what is God's majestic holiness? Well, it, it means that God, it's, it's God's creative power and ability that makes Him separate. See, the thing about God that makes Him different than anybody that's ever lived or existed or ever will ever exist is that God can create, and creatures cannot create. Well, uh, what about cloning? That's creating. No, they take a life, and they clone a life. It's not creating. Only God can create. R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, he talks about uh, this whole idea of God's creative Power, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, there was nothing, and God created something. There was nothing but God. God existed, and then God spoke, and the world existed. Now, here's where we get all mixed up. We don't, we can't comprehend what nothing is. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. We cannot fathom. We can't wrap our hands around nothing because if we think nothing is darkness, it's not nothing. It's darkness. Or if we say, well, well, nothing is like empty air. Well, air is something. If you don't believe it, go poke a hole in your tire and see what happens. Because air is something. But there was nothing. And God created something out of nothing. It was like God was, a, you know, a magician. And God pulled a rabbit out of his hat, but there wasn't a hat and there wasn't a rabbit. It was just a magician. God just spoke and the universe came to be. God can create and his majestic holiness is that God has the potential and the power to create. It sets him apart from anything else in the universe. Now, um, atheists and, and naturalists would tell you, no, God didn't create. That stuff just came from nothing. Well, they would say it came from chance, but from nothing. How does nothing create something? It's, it, it can't. God is holy. God is separate. Because God spoke and the universe came into existence. Behind me on the screen is what they call the Helix Nebula. Isn't that right, Dan, the Helix Nebula? It's slang. They call it the eye of God. Isn't it interesting how much it looks like an eye? And it's this galaxy out in this nebula out in God's creation. One of untold millions of galaxies that God created when he spoke the world into existence. You say, Pastor Mike, I, I know people that are very creative. I know this person and they're an artist and they, you should see their paintings. But they started with paint, right? They had paint and they made a painting. 
Or this person, he's a creative writer. Well, he's got words and language and paper and all this stuff. Or a computer. Only God, only God can from nothing make something. And that's what he did. And we live in that world. And you're a part of God's creation. Because that first Adam, that first man, he fashioned from the dust. He fashioned in his hands. And then he breathed life into him. And when he realized he needed a helper, he put him to sleep, took out a rib, and made a woman and gave, him to, gave her to him. See, God's majestic holiness means that he's creator. He's separate from us. But not only is there that majestic holiness, but I would say secondly, there's God's moral holiness. And what that means is that God is, he's all righteous. He is completely righteous. Without any mixture of sin or error, God is absolutely perfect always in every way. Everything he does is always perfectly right. But then why do bad things happen to good people? And why was there, there death in the Old Testament? And we got all these reasons of, of why. But listen, we just need to understand God is absolutely perfect in everything he does. He has a reason, a right reason, a correct reason for any and everything that happens. Because God is, is morally absolutely pure. Separate from us. We're not morally pure. We sin. We fall short of God's glory. But God is light, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 5. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Because he's perfect. He's perfect. And he's perfect in every way. He is, he is holy and righteous. And what's interesting is that, you know, the, the Bible talks about even God's name is holy. We sang a chorus in the early service. You probably know it if you've been around church for long. But uh, Jesus, your name is holy. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name brings life or something to that effect. But the Bible calls him the Holy One of Israel. Why? Because God's name is holy. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Um. Scripture talks about how holy the name of God is, but not in our culture, right? I mean, God's name is used more for a cuss word probably than anything else. And you can cuss his name on a golf course. I, I've heard it on TV. You probably have. I've read lips. You can, on the football field, in the work environment or in the play environment. I mean, isn't it amazing? We can cuss God's name and we'll put it on TV, but you can't say it at school. Heaven forbid, some kid might hear it and believe. Or you can't put it on the wall of the courtroom. Or we don't want it in our political platform. Or, in, in fact, if we could, we'd like to get it out of the pledge and offer money. We don't honor God's name in our culture. We blaspheme it. By the way, OMG... It's taking God's name in vain. If you use that, I wouldn't. That's just extra. Okay? See, we treat common what's holy. A guy told us last spring that the old, he, he's got, he knows seven languages, including Hebrew. He studied in Hebrew. He's got a doctorate. He said Hebrew scribes. Before they would write the name of God, would go take a bath. 
because God is holy. And, and, and we just treat it flippantly. And God's people, we should be different. I mean, look down at your Bibles there. Um, in fact, I, let's turn over to um, Matthew 6, since we're talking about God's name. Let me just say that I want to go one more step here. Matthew 6, listen to verse 9. It says, um, and you know this, is this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why, why is that not happening? We, a lot of times we read that verse and say, well, that means that, that uh, God's name is holy. Well, God's name is holy, but that's a prayer. Jesus was saying, you need to pray, God, we want your name to be hallowed. God, we want your kingdom to come. And maybe the reason that God's kingdom uh, isn't happening here on earth as it is in heaven is because God's people, us, aren't hallowing God's name. Maybe it's because the people of God, we've treated his name and his holiness so common that God doesn't want to be with us. We need to be careful. Go back to Isaiah. Quickly look at verse, um, or look at verse 4. It says, At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. <coughs> Excuse me. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Uh, what happened is, uh, Isaiah, when he saw the, the majesty of Jesus, it Man, it messed him up. I mean, it messed him up. And and really, um, time probably won't allow us to get into all this. Let me just, I was going to stop there in the early service, and I couldn't stop, and I went on. So let me just give you the nuts and bolts. But but when Isaiah saw this scene, and remember, he's seen all this stuff. He just went in to mourn for the king. He just went into the temple to say, God, I don't really know what we're going to do. Our king's dead. And he saw this vision of God, and he saw this stuff. And when he saw it, man, it messed him up. He said, woe is me. Now, we don't use that term in our culture anymore, in our language anymore. But what he was really saying is, I'm doomed. I've seen the king. He's read the book. He said, listen, when people, listen, if you saw the king, you died. You saw, remember Uzzah who, who grabbed the ark? Remember they were moving the ox cart? David had them moving the ox cart up. They put it on the cows and, and Uzzah grabbed the ox cart and God killed him just like that. I mean, just in a minute. Remember Eli's sons? I mean, God just, I mean, they messed with the glory of God and God took them out. So Isaiah, he, he knows all this. And so he sees this vision. He sees the glory of God and he says, oh no, I, I messed up. The, the word ruined in the NIV doesn't do it justice. Some translations use the word undone. Maybe even better. He said, I'm unraveled. I'm disintegrated. I'm coming apart. Why? Because I've seen the glory of God. I've seen the glory of God. He says, woe is me. Why? Because I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why, why would he use that term? Why would he say my lips are not clean? Why do you think? Remember what Jesus said. I think it's in Matthew 15. He said, what goes into your mouth is not what defiles a man. But what comes out of your mouth, through your lips, 
It's what defiled a man. Why? Because of our heart. And see, what Isaiah realized is that his heart was unclean before a holy God. And then he said, I come before a people, or I come from, I live among a people who are unclean. And that's us today. We live among a people who are unclean. And God's people, that's us, need, we need to see God for who he is. We need to treat him as holy. You know, I share with the early church, and I'll, I'll get in trouble for this, but I'll get in trouble for that as well. We got to talk, you know, we was talking about the election. You know, uh, Tuesday's our election, and, you know, and it's, to me it's really not about electing a president. It's kind of a, Al Mohler uh, wrote a, a blog. He's president of Southern Seminary. He wrote a blog a couple months ago, and he said, he made the observation that it's really a, Tuesday's a, is a referendum on the worldview. It's a referendum on secularism versus a biblical worldview. Because if you look at one of the platforms, one of the platforms is, is about, um, about pro-life. It's about traditional marriage. And you've got another platform that's about abortion on demand. And, and uh, let's not defend. In fact, let's, uh, I don't know the right word, but let's get rid of the Defense of Marriage Act. And so you've got, you got, you got, you got a biblical worldview and, and you got a, a secular worldview. And, and we get to choose. As a nation, we're going to choose. And that's going to set the direction of where our culture is going to go over the next few years. And I'm just telling you, our culture is in deep trouble. If, you know, if we keep going the way we've gone, we're in deep, deep trouble. I read an article this week, and if you have young kids, cover their ears. But I'm going to just go ahead and tell you this article. I read this article, Evergreen State uh, College or University in Washington has a student that's 45 years old. He's a man, but he's a transgender. And he believes since 2009 that he's a woman trapped in a man's body. And so because he dresses as a woman, he has access to the women's locker room on their campus to go in and undress and do whatever he chooses, which is bad enough with college kids. But it turns out that at this campus, they share the women's locker room with high school girls and even kids as young as six years old. And so you have a man in that locker room believing he's a woman trapped in a man's body, showing himself freely to whoever looks. And you have children and teenagers and young adult ladies who are forced to view this. When he was run out of the locker room by a swim coach, she had to apologize because she discriminated against this person who, who felt discriminated because um, he was told to leave because he's a woman trapped in a man's body. Turns out that uh, they uh, said there probably won't, there's probably no room for prosecuting because the law is so vague. And so here's what I'm saying. We live in a culture that's so afraid to discriminate against sin that we force people to be exposed, pardon my pun, to the sinful behaviors of people who are out of touch with reality. And that's where we're headed as a culture. And the church can sit idly by and say, well, everybody's free to choose if we want. Or we can say, wait a minute, our God is holy. 
And some things are just wrong. And see, here's the thing. Who we elect this week ultimately is who's going to support the Supreme Court justices. And you know where this stuff always winds up? At the Supreme Court. So it's really not about who's in the White House. It's about what values are going to trickle down from the Supreme Court. And they're going to shape our future. They just are, whether we like it or whether we don't. And I'm just saying, I got a, I got a little girl to be six in two months. Discriminate or not. I don't want some wacko showing himself in a locker room to any of our kids. Now, you can call me old-fashioned. You can call me whatever. But I'm just telling you, uh, wrong is wrong if everybody's doing it. And right is right if nobody's doing it. And that's just wrong. It's wrong. And if, as the people of God, we've got to decide that we're going to take a stand somewhere. We need to draw a line in the sand somewhere and say, wait a minute. Our God is holy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Mike, if God was so holy, and then, then why does this stuff happen? Why does, that go, why does that go on and it doesn't get dealt with? Why does stuff like that happen all the time? Why is it, if God's really holy, and if God's really going to judge this, and, and if God's really, uh, you know, then why does all this happen? Why hadn't God done something about it? Well, let me just tell you why. And we're out of time. We're done. But let me just tell you why. Second Peter 3.9. If you put that up for us, 2 Peter 3, 9, I can't quote it exactly. But basically it says that uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slow. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. I'm telling you, God will have his day. He will have his day. But he wants as many people to be saved as can be saved. That's why he's patient. That's why he's patient. I told you about Bob. Shook his fist in the face of Jesus. Well, things rocked along for a long time, and, or for months and months and months. And I went to see Bob, and I'd talk, and he wouldn't cuss as much, and he quit shaking his fist in the face of Jesus. And finally, I went to see him. It was October or November. And, and you know, and I, I spent about an hour and a half, and I tried to answer every question about God that, I, that he had. And finally, I said, I said, Bob, Man, why don't you just give your life to Jesus? I mean, I, was, I, I, I didn't know what else to do. I said, why don't you just give your life to Jesus? He said, okay. And so here's this old soldier man, rough, hard, crusty. And he, that next Sunday morning, he gives his life to Jesus on a Wednesday afternoon. That next Sunday morning, kind of from right over there, we did a little altar call like we do sometimes at the end of our church. And he comes down the aisle, and he gets down there almost to the front, and he puts that same old fist in the air, and he says, I gave my heart to Jesus. He was just changed. He was just changed. And the reason God is so patient with us is because God wants people to be changed. He wants them to be changed. Some of you here today, you've never given your heart to Christ. You would never shake your fist in God's face, but in your heart, you know you're in rebellion. You're against him because you're not for him. God wants you to be saved. He's patient because he doesn't want you to perish. And my question is, would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you be willing today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ?
Others of us, man, we're Christians, but, I, but the, if the truth be known, for me and for some of you, we, we tend to treat what's, what's holy as common. We just do. We'd never shake our fist in God's face, but the reality is we give God what's left over. We don't come into his presence in awe and reverence. And so I just want to ask you, believer, this morning, as a Christian, as a Christian, don't you need to stand in the presence of God in awe and reverence? Is there anything in your life that you need to say, you know, God, I, I just need you to get rid of this so I can honor you? If God's speaking to your heart, I'm hoping that today you'll say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I know that when, when you have a message like this, man, it falls in a lot of places. And, you know, when you talk about uh, issues and, you know, uh, we mentioned, you even mentioned the word politics or even hint at it. Uh, people get worked up about that or, or whatever. You talk about sin or you talk about people that have uh, other lifestyles. And people say, well, you're unloving or you're unkind or you're this or that. Uh, God, I understand that. But at the end of the day, here's what I know, Father. You're a holy God. And you dem- if, you're, if you're the creator of the universe, then you're the Lord of the universe. And God, if you're the Lord over the universe, then you're Lord over my life. And you're Lord over every one of our lives. And particularly, Father, over the life of a believer. And if you're Lord over our life, then we should live and surrender to you. And we should follow after you. And Father, I I don't know where this message has landed. I, I don't know who here needs to be saved, but my prayer is that they would say yes to Jesus today. God, I, I, know, I don't know who here who's a believer would say, man, often I, I treat as common what the Bible says is holy and I need to repent. God, I would just ask that you have your way in every person's heart and every person's life and I ask it in Jesus' name.